As we can tell just by looking at ourselves, some things have changed since 1988. But in so many ways, we are still the same people. Here is another story of one of us, the humans of 88. I'm Carol Brooke. I was a history major at Carleton, have a master's degree from the University of Michigan in public health, and a JD from the University of North Carolina. I live with my husband and my 16-year-old and a cat and a dog in Carborough, North Carolina, which is near Chapel Hill. In 1988, when we graduated, I think we were fairly protected from the broader world. Coming from a small college campus where we lived mostly on campus, had our meals provided for us, I at least was not used to things like paying rent and setting up my own utilities and even job hunting. I grew up in St. Louis, Missouri. I went to a high school that was somewhat bigger than Carleton, not enormous, but somewhat bigger, but also very conservative, a very conservative area. Carleton was a breath of fresh air in terms of the politics and the supportiveness of it. And I really hoped that when I got to college, I would have a different experience. And I did. I knew my very first day when I got to the dorm. And the person hanging out in the lounge had red hair down to his waist, that things were going to be different in college. And they were. I was a changed person at the end of Carleton in that I was exposed to a lot more ideas and beliefs and I would say backgrounds than I ever had been in high school or in my growing up. But I was the same in that I had always had the convictions that I came out of Carleton with, but I was better able to express them. I think my time since Carleton has been a process of more and more figuring out what's important to me politically and personally. When I was at Carleton, I was certainly very influenced by the classes that I took with Paul Wellstone and by classmates who were politically active. But Having finished college, I think I have, in my career, I've sort of moved along a track that has gotten me more closer and closer to what I had thought I might be doing when I graduated. While I was at Carleton, I thought I wanted to go to medical school. Not too long after graduating, realized that was not the place for me <laughs> and ended up in a school of public health at University of Michigan, which is more social justice oriented, and then moved into a community organizing position, which was also very political, but not didn't fit my skill set very well, and finally went to law school. And that, I think, has coalesced all of those different components for me. I went to law school after spending about four and a half years in a community organizing position working for a small nonprofit where we were supporting people who worked in the poultry industry. The poultry industry is very dangerous. People have a lot of health and safety concerns and a lot of issues with their wages. Through that experience, came to realize that I was not meant to be a community organizer, both personality-wise, and it wasn't the most appropriate role as a white person to be working with immigrant and African-American workers in a community organizing role. But I wanted to support labor rights. That's how I landed in law school. I never would have predicted that at Carleton. Never crossed my mind to go to law school. Since I graduated from law school, I have been working the entire 22 years for uh, the North Carolina Justice Center, which is 
a nonprofit organization in Raleigh, North Carolina. My first job with the Justice Center was with their Immigrants Legal Assistance Project. And I was sort of the farm worker attorney in that project. And then as we got bigger and evolved in different directions, we formed a workers' rights project. And that is the project that I work with now. I definitely think that my Carlton experience is still part of the work that I do today. I remember after graduating when I worked for six months, nine months or something for Kinko's Copies because the economy was terrible and I couldn't find a job that matched anything I was interested in. I remember writing a letter to Paul Wellstone and asking him for a reference for graduate school and saying in the letter that I was sort of embarrassed that I wasn't using any of the you know, political bent that I had gained at Carleton in my work life. And he wrote back a lovely note saying basically that, you know, people evolve in their lives and there are times when you are active and times when you're not and that that is fine. And I have taken that as some reassurance. <laughs> but I do think that, you know, ultimately the work that I do is born of the political awakenings that I had at Carleton. Yes. You know, seeing the power of community organizing, seeing the importance of labor organizing, those things have certainly come from my Carlton experience and just deepened over the years. I represent a lot of migrant seasonal farm workers. Every two years, the farm worker uh, legal community has a conference. And I remember when I went the first year that I started doing this work, how exciting it was and how much I felt like I was part of an a community that was really working to change things for farm workers in this country. And 22 years later, going to that conference again, I it's still an exciting place to be. And I think people are still doing a lot of cutting edge work, but it is disheartening to see how many of the same struggles are happening. We're still trying to make sure that people are getting the minimum wage, which is just unbelievable at this point in time that that should still be a battle that people have to go through. Farm workers are in some areas of the country are more organized, but not uniformly. The poverty, the struggles of living a migrant lifestyle carry on. And then there's new challenges where we have new programs where people can come to the U.S. on visas and those programs have terrible flaws. So it is disheartening. I guess the thing that's hopeful is that people are still fighting. <laughs> They're fighting the good fight and there are still wins. But the fact that it still has to be an everyday battle is, is very disheartening. I'm an employment lawyer and I represent low-income workers. I would say the vast majority of the work that I do is around wage and hour law. So representing people who have not been paid the minimum wage or haven't been paid overtime or who have illegal deductions being made from their pay. We also do some employment discrimination and we've represented some farm worker unions. In addition to litigation, we do advocacy. So I have worked with a coalition of organizations around North Carolina to propose legislation that would improve things for farm workers. So in 2007, which is ages ago now, we did have some victories where we came together to draft legislation to improve migrant housing in North Carolina and to improve our state pesticide laws. And we were able to, after a multi-year battle, to get the legislature to pass some changes so that farm workers now in our state have the right to have a mattress on their bed, which seems insanely like a low bar, and it is but also some other things in terms of 
the right to be housed in an alternative location if your housing is found to be uninhabitable and to have the farmer pay for that. So there's small victories along the way like that, but it's also discouraging to see the low place from which we are starting. I've thought about Wellstone's work in the context of farm worker organizing before because he was so involved in family farms and advocating for family farmers. And in many ways, you know, in the work that I do, farmers are on the opposite side. (laughs) I think someone like Wellstone could probably help to bridge that gap in a way that can be hard for those of us who are more entrenched in an advocacy role on one side or the other to think about how the interests come together. And there have been some advocates who have been able to do that some over the years, but it's a, it's a hard thing. I do think that, that Paul Wellstone could have helped with that effort. I'm sure that I will be involved in some sort of worker advocacy from now till retirement. What form that takes, I don't know. It might continue to be exactly what I'm doing now, and it might evolve in some way, but I don't have a a real vision for an evolution at this point. I enjoy what I do. My husband, who is looking forward to retirement, often says, why do you need to retire? You love your job. And I do love my job in many, many ways. I do think that in some ways it is a barrier to being more involved in my local community, just because I feel like all my energy is taken by the work that I'm doing. I could see having more of a balance at some point. My husband is, has always been my biggest supporter, and so that has certainly kept me in, in the game. He often says, I couldn't do what you do, which I don't think is true, but does help me to realize the value of what I'm doing. And my 16-year-old, I think, has a keen awareness of workers' lives and injustices, certainly been part of our dinner table conversations <laughs> for years. It would be hard to do this work without having a family that you could go home to at dinner and talk to about what you're doing. I'm a huge reader, always have been. Um, I'm a gardener, not a very good one, but I like it. My kiddo and I have just started volunteering as cat socializers at the animal shelter, which is a very low stress, high reward (laughs) volunteer position. It's really fun. Nonprofit work. Even nonprofit activism work has been burdened, I think, for many years by being sort of a white middle class thing. The trend that I'm seeing that is hopeful to me is that the younger folks that we are seeing come into this work are people of color, queer people, people who have different worldviews and different ideas about how we should be working in the community and taking our cues from the community. And I think that can only make the work more effective and challenge those of us who've been doing this for a while to to think outside the box. Some of the students that I've worked with over the years come from farm worker families. We have an internship program called Student Action with Farm Workers, where undergraduate students work for us and other organizations on farm worker related issues during the summer. And what I have always felt like I have gained from working with those brilliant young students from farm worker families is an understanding of why we can't push forward and assume that everyone should be ready to shake things up and take risks. A lot of the students that we've 
worked with have been very engaged in activism during the summer and have you know heard from their families why are you doing this versus trying to get a good job that's going to pay some money i think that challenge and that tension is different for students coming out of a farm worker background than it is for me when my parents were saying well if you can't find a job why don't you go work at a bank and i was resisting that you know and i think just just understanding life experiences that are so different from my own has been a real gift. The disparities and inequities and injustices faced by farm workers now are born of decades of what's called agricultural exceptionalism and that's, you know, treating agriculture differently from other industries under the law and that came out of the Roosevelt era when we were developing social programs and uh, basic standards like child labor laws and minimum wage. And we were providing exceptions for agricultural workers because of the pressure from Southern politicians. It's white supremacy. It was a way to keep Black people down as we were changing from an agricultural society to an industrial society. But the people who are being oppressed by it have changed over the years. And now we have fewer and fewer African-Americans doing farm work and the vast majority people from Mexico and Central America. So the challenges are different and now they're tied to our immigration system, but they're rooted in that old attitude of, you know, who we need to keep on the, on the plantation or on the farm and how do we keep them there? And we do that by exempting them from all sorts of protections that other workers enjoy. The right to organize, the right to the minimum wage, workers' compensation if you're injured, unemployment insurance, all of those basics, which are really the bare minimum, that's the heart of the challenge that persists today. I would say that my connection to social justice issues started growing up in the Unitarian Church, which is a very social justice-oriented religious tradition, and then grew at Carlson with my fellow students who were fired up about different things and professors setting that example about me than anyone else. I would say that I am not a fundamentally different person than I was when I entered Carlton. That what Carlton and my post-Carlton experiences have done have been to give me the the outlet and the skills and the confidence to to use those passions and interests in a way that can hopefully make a difference. Thank you, Carol, for sharing with us some of the stuff from your life. It's great to hear what people have been doing and what we've missed in the last 35 years. Hopefully, we'll get to see a lot of you, if not all of you, at reunion in June. But if not, I hope you all keep sharing your stories.